Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. All right, as usual, uh, these days we have a lot of ground to cover because we are doing a three-year journey through the Bible. I mentioned earlier about how important the Bible is to us. Well, we're doing a three-year journey through the Bible because we need to know uh, to know our Bibles. And so we're uh, in the book of Exodus. I mentioned last week uh, how exciting it's been for me to be learning things from the book of Exodus that I... Uh, new things, things I, I didn't know or that just hadn't really come home to me the way that they're coming home to me as we've studied, as we study it again this time. Uh, first time I studied through the book of Exodus uh, was in 1983. That's a few years ago. Um, and now I am going through it again and I'm learning stuff. So think about this. If the great I am the infinite one, the inexhaustible one, were to write a book, what would that book be like? It would be inexhaustible, wouldn't it? That would mean that every time you read it, something new would be discovered. And that's what the Bible is, and that's what we find when we read the Bible. So we're in the book of Exodus, and we're studying the, the Exodus, the coming out, the taking out, the uh, thrusting out of the people of Israel out of the bondage and slavery of Egypt. And uh, so that's uh, what, what, we're, what we're doing here. Um, I mentioned last uh, week, just to kind of review just a little bit, uh, that uh, uh, scholars say that there were over 2,000 deities in ancient Egypt. So the people that were what we're reading of in Egypt, led by Pharaoh, they had over 2,000 gods. And Yahweh comes to Moses and he says, I am. Singular. I am that I am. I am the one who is. The infinite one, the inexhaustible one, the only one, the only true God. So this whole drama of Exodus is set up as a contest, a giant contest between Yahweh and the gods of Egypt. Between Yahweh and the Pharaoh of Egypt who was believed to be a god himself and who believed himself in some sense to be divine. And so it's a battle, it's a contest, and uh, um, we, we um, also, I mentioned last week that Israel uh, was not innocent, that this was not um, <clears throat> a situation where God had it in for the Egyptians, and God who is uh, Yahweh, who is judge of all the earth, uh, is going to pour out his judgments on Egypt, and Israel, they get a pass on that. Nobody gets a pass. When we talk about God being good, that doesn't mean that God is not just. And when it comes to the justice of God, 
nobody gets a pass. The Bible will say later, it will say this in the book of Romans, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Israel, they were not innocent. In fact, we'll read later when you get to the book of Joshua, Joshua uh, makes a statement. He says, which God are you going to serve? Are you going to serve, the, you serve Yahweh, the one true God, or are you going to serve the God that your fathers served on the other side of the sea? So there was idolatry in, in, in Israel as well, and uh, on the part of Israel. And so it's not just that Israel is innocent and that, and that um, Egyptians were, were idolatrous or sinful, um, but as we looked last week, and this is where kind of where we, we left off uh, more or less last week, was with that final plague, which was what? The final plague, the tenth plague, was the death of the firstborn. And, and, it, and it, ha- it has to be understood and pointed out that the only reason that the firstborn sons of the Israelis did not suffer the consequences of the death angel passing over and taking their lives was why? Because the blood on the door. They had to, to hide under the blood because they weren't innocent. And sometimes we, uh, we think, uh, you know, I think we uh, you know, miss the fact that uh, the Egyptians were uh, given opportunity. Pharaoh was given an opportunity to repent over and over and over again and didn't take it. We shouldn't lose sight of that as we go through these passages. Uh, let's see. Exodus 11. <coughs> Excuse me. Exodus 11, 4. Uh, verse 4 through verse 7 says, So Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight I will go into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the, tra- the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now this relates to what we were just talking about. So that the Lord, so that you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and uh, Israel. A um, couple things. One is you notice here that Moses, this is Moses talking to Pharaoh. So Mo- Mo- Moses is giving Pharaoh a heads up. He didn't have to give Pharaoh a heads up, but he's giving Pharaoh a heads up. He's saying, this is coming down the pipe. And right there and then, Pharaoh has a choice. He could have chose to repent. Now, I know it talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. It also talks about Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And it talks sometimes, but just says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And sometime, maybe maybe even next week, we might talk just a little bit about, about all of that and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Because I think it, it, we, we would be wise to pay attention to what the Bible says about Pharaoh's heart. Because you have a heart, and I have a heart. And those are pertinent uh, things for us to understand. But for this morning, I just want, I want to point out that, that, that here that God was giving um, Pharaoh a heads up through Moses. And this is not the only time that God gives Pharaoh a heads up. Uh, Exodus 9, if you go back to Exodus 9, verses um, 17... Uh, through 21, it says, you are, still, uh, you are still exalting yourself. Again, this is God speaking through Moses to Pharaoh. You are still exalting yourself against my people. See, that's a problem. All right? 
and you will not let them go. Because God specifically said to Pharaoh, you let my people go. He was a direct command, and Pharaoh said, I will not let the people go. Well, that's a problem. Because God just say, oh, okay, we're good. No, he's not going to do that, right? And so it says there that he says, if, uh, Behold, verse 18, uh, About this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from, this day, uh, uh, from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send and get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safety, shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field that is not brought home will die. You see what he's doing here? He's giving Pharaoh a heads up. Get your people out of the fields. He didn't have to do that, see? Uh, then, and then it, sa it says, verse 20, Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh. Do you see this? Whoever feared the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried um, his slaves and his livestock into the houses, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and livestock in the field. And verse 25 says, The hail struck down everything that was in the field in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. So, my, so there's, there's, there's this heads up here. There's opportunity. And all along through, you, you know, we read through and we think, you know, that God's you know, just, just killing people, you know, just giving people boils and, and uh, you know, killing the cattle and sending them grasshoppers and sending plagues of frogs and everything. It's like, why, you know, what is God doing here? And if we're not careful, it's just like we get this impression that God's just, he's vindictive and he's cruel and he's angry. And, but try to see here that, 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 that what's going on is, uh, is an opportunity over and over again for the people to repent of their sin, to turn from their wicked ways, and they don't. Uh, and so, um, and, and, and notice, um, if you will, that, uh, well, this is a reflection back on the, on the passage that uh, uh, we read first, which is Exodus 11, 4 to 7. It says, I will, uh, the Lord makes a distinction between uh, Egypt and Israel. Uh, you look at the distinction and what the distinction is. What is the distinction between Egypt and Israel? <laughs> if they were both, if, if neither Israel nor Egypt were innocent, then what is the distinction? And the answer to that question is, he is. God is the distinction. The Lord is the distinction because he has a relationship with Israel. He has a covenant relationship with Israel. He does not have that relationship with Egypt, though he reaches out to Egypt and they don't respond. Um, now, um, we also know from reading and studying these passages that the, that relationship is based on grace, not merit, and it's based on uh, the shedding of, of uh, substitution, uh, sub, uh, substitutes blood as well, and that's come out of these, these passages. Now, furthermore, scholars point out that uh, 
that the plagues, the ten plagues, are directed towards the various deities of Egypt. And that's not just something I should say that scholars point out. The text actually, the passage actually does say that. If you look at uh, chapter 12, verse 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all uh, the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. The plagues were judgments against the specific deities of the particular deities of Egypt. And then he follows that with a statement, I am the Lord, uh, Yahweh. And God says to Moses, I am the one who is. Um, remember, Pharaoh himself believed that he was uh, a god. And his firstborn son would have been his uh, progeny, am I saying that right? Um, who would be uh, earmarked uh, to replace him and uh, succeed him. Um, so the point of all of this, as you read through, and I hope you're reading through, the point of all of this uh, comes up again and again. Um, remember what Pharaoh said to uh, to Moses when Moses approached him first off? Do you remember what he said? Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let the people go. So, Check out these verses then. Uh, chapter 5, verse 2. That's the one I just I just quoted to you. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let uh, Israel go. Now look at chapter 7, verse 5. I'll put these on the screen. You don't need to look them up. Chapter 7, verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people from Israel, of Israel from among them. Uh, later on that same chapter, verse 17 says, Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water, that is the Nile, and it shall turn uh, to blood. Chapter 8, verse 10, and he said, Tomorrow Moses said, Be as, uh, it as you say, so that you may know that there was no one like the Lord our God. Chapter 8, verse 22, But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where the people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Chapter 9, verse 14, For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Chapter 9, Verse 29, Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. So over and over and over again, that you may know, that you may know. And did you notice, it's not just the plagues. It's the ceasing of the plagues. That's significant. Because each time God would send a plague, um, you know, Pharaoh would go, okay, Moses, please intercede for us and, and stop the plague. And we'll, and we'll be good. You know, you can go. We'll let you go. And so Moses would say, all right, I will pray to the Lord and the plague will stop so that you will know. Over and over again, this is repeated. And this, as this battle 
uh, goes on. So, but it's, it's not just uh, an education for Pharaoh and the Egyptians either. There are a couple of other groups that are, that are of interest here. And one group is the nations in the land of Canaan. Later, we're going to find out that they were watching all this too. Well, not watching it the way you and I watch stuff on television, but news does travel, even, even in the Old Testament. But there was another group of people. There was another group of people that needed to know who the Lord was and to know that Yahweh is God. And that was who? Israel. And if you look, for example, in chapter 6, verse 7, it says there, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. No one needed to know or realize and remember more than Israel herself who the Lord is. So all of this was not just for the benefit of the Egyptians. It was also for the benefit of Israel. Um, and the reason I make that point is because that's the emphasis of the passage. If you read through chapters 11, 12, 13, there are the description of the events, the plagues, and the exodus. But there is also a large amount of content there. And you recognize, if, you, if, you re, if you've read it, you recognize that there's a large amount of content there that's not just telling the events. It's explaining for Israel and instructing Israel on how they were to commemorate these events. Large portions of chapters 11, 12, and 13 are given to explain to Israel how they were to commemorate these events when they got to the promised land. And uh, that underscores the importance of these things for uh, Israel. And so, uh, as I say, a lot of the text here is not just a retelling of the events, but, but uh, the laws and the customs that would be put in place so that Israel would never forget the lessons of these days and these events. And that's really important. So chapter 11 records Moses' final interaction with Pharaoh. This is the final time they've had to face, they get a face-to-face. And at the end of that face-to-face, God basically said, or Pharaoh says to Moses, you get out of here and I never want to see your face again. And Moses says, that's exactly what's going to happen. Just like you said, you'll not see my face again. But not before Moses told him exactly what was going to happen. 
You read it in chapter 11. We're not going to go through it today, but you can read it in chapter 11 where he spells out for Pharaoh, this is what's going to happen. All kinds of time for Pharaoh to repent, but there's no repentance coming. Um, so that's chapter 11. Chapter 12 is substantial and it outlines how these events are to be commemorated in uh, perpetuity, as they say. Uh, uh, not just the Passover meal and feast, but a whole week-long festival, including the Passover, but called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When you get to the New Testament, uh, it's there. It's very prominent in the lives of the Jews. And there's a reason for that. There's a really good reason for that. Because it's stressed here. And it is stressed, okay? Um, not just by the amount of the content of it uh, in the teaching here, but also by the words that God uses to stress it. It says uh, in chapter 12, verse 7 and 8, Then they shall take some of the blood, Talking about the blood of the lamb that was to be chosen. We talked about that last week. And they shall put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. So we have that, the blood of the lamb that was slain, put on the doorpost. But then they had to eat the lamb. And it wasn't uh, uh, just, just roasted lamb. It also included bitter herbs. And... Uh, it would appear that the bitter, the bitter herbs were intended as a visceral reminder to the people of the bondage of Egypt. You know how you put something really bitter in your mouth like, ah, right? And that's exactly what God is going for. Because you know what? You can forget that stuff. You go through a really, really hard time, brutal hard time, uh, you know, and it's like, Oh, God, please deliver me out of this. This is so hard. It hurts so much. And, you know, Lord, if you get me out of this, I, I will serve you. <laughs> Week later, right? You think it was any different for Israel? Chapter 12, verse 11 says, In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The haste thing is interesting, isn't it? We're not supposed to eat fast, but they were supposed to eat, fast, eat this fast. And uh, it's uh, for generations, generations to come. Generation after generation after generation, they had to keep this, this Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, and part of it was uh, the, the whole idea of uh, eat it in haste. Wolf down your food, Bobby. Wolf it down as fast as you can. That's not usually what we tell our kids, but this is different. It's, I find it fascinating, you know, because it reminds me of something. It reminds me, uh, this whole idea um, uh, of uh, the Lord's, uh, the second coming of Jesus. We're looking forward to the time of uh, coming when the Lord's going to return. And we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait. 
But um, when it happens, there'll be no time to get ready. Right? Um, the only time you had to prepare for the second coming of Christ is now. When the time comes, when the sky breaks, there'll be no time. A lot of the parables of Jesus, if you understand the parables of Jesus where it talks about, uh, you know, the, the, the wise and the foolish virgins, you know, and they got no oil and, you know, it's like now's the time to get your oil, guys, because when that time comes, there will be no time for preparing. And that's exactly what this text reads like. It's like you need to prepare for this now because when the time comes, there will be no time for preparing. You're going to take your plate and go. You're going to be eating on the run. That's what he's telling them here. And they had to keep this feast generation after generation, year after year, so that they would remember these events. Um, parables of the bridegroom. Similar. Jesus' parables of the bridegroom. Similar. Where you have the the, the bride, bride uh, groom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. Don't wait till he comes, because the relationship between Israel and God, the later prophets in the Old Testament will pick this up, and they'll refer to it as a marriage. It's like a marriage. The relationship between Israel and God is like a marriage. And as we move through here. These ideas are, are so important because they form the basis of, the whole, of our whole understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God or what it means to be a people of God. And, and that's what we're going to hopefully uh, see uh, you know, flowing out of these, um, out of these passages. Um, look at uh, chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, uh, verses 14 and 15. Serious stuff going forward, okay? This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove all the leaven out of your houses. And for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be what? Cut off. From Israel, You know, that's the same language that God used to Abraham when God instituted the, uh, the law of circumcision. Uh, you don't have to turn there. Let me read it to you. God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with money from a foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. Same, same, same repercussions. Anyone who does not keep this feast of unleavened bread should be cut off. Now, a couple things. One, we're fond, as Christians, we're fond of saying, well, that's Old Testament. And, you know, circumcision laws, they don't apply anymore. And the, the feast laws, they don't apply anymore. You know what? That's true. 
That's absolutely true. The problem is we don't take the time to understand them in the first time to even understand how significant it is that they don't apply anymore. And we need to do that. We need to apply ourselves to this so we can understand that these are big things because things like circumcision and feast days and the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and, and the Feast of Tabernacles and, and, all, and Sabbath rest and all that, coming flowing out of the Old Testament and the New Testament, those are huge things. You read through the Gospels and see how many references there are there to these things. Or read through the writings of Paul and see how many times Paul mentions circumcision. And see how many fights and battles it got into over circumcision with the Jews. Why? Because these things were huge. They were stressed. They're stressed here in this passage. And, and, and it behooves us to understand it so that we can uh, feel the, the weight of it and, and, uh, and appreciate the role it plays in the revelation. The revelation of God through his word. This is part of the Bible too, right? It's important that we understand it. So it's a big, it's a big deal. <laughs> I think I've mentioned to you this idea of progressive re revelation, where you have God uh, acting in history and then making proclamations, and then acting on those proclamations or promises, and then interpreting that for us through through the writings and voices of His prophets. But it's a culminating effect generation after generation, as new events happen and new revelation accompanies those events. This here, where we're at right now, is a high point. The book of Exodus is, is a high point in this, and uh, it's really important for us to understand it. Exodus 12, verses 25 to 27. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. That's important, right? That we talk with our children about why we do the things we do and what they mean. That's all this is really saying here. It's like, you know, talk to your children about why you do the things you do and what they mean for us as a people. Take the time to talk to your children. Why, why do we go to church? Why do we assemble? Why do you, what's this thing about the bread and the cup? And why do we do that? Why do we pray? Why do we sing? So all of this sets up the final plague. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So not just the accounts, but the theological commentary that goes with the accounts. And the later prophets uh, will, will draw heavily on, uh, on these. Um, if you, do you ever, any of you ever read the Minor Prophets? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. 
Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. How about the major prophets? Isaiah, Jeremiah. Here, here, here's the thing. You cannot understand what they're saying if you don't understand these earlier sections of Scripture because it all is based on this. It's really, it's really that important. Um, let's see here. Uh, so not just happened, what happened, but why it happened and what that means going forward. Um, I, I can't recall from memory where this is. You probably can find it in your Bible there in front of you. But <coughs> at one point God says to them in, in, in this discussion, he says, this, this, this month is going to be your first month. You know that calendar you've been using? Throw it out. Chapter 12, verse 2. Because cause we're, we're creating a whole new calendar. Think about that. Your life starts now. That's what he's really saying, is your life as a people starts now. Now, here's the thing that I, I really want to make sure that we, uh, we grasp with this. And that is this, that Israel's corporate identity, their national identity, their, their peoplehood begins here. It begins with redemption. It begins with salvation by, wrought by God out of the bondage and suffering of Egypt. It begins here and now. That sense of corporate identity. Think about it. Who are we? Not just who am I. But who are we? Because up until this point, it's mostly been who am I? Going forward from here, That's morphed. Going forward from these passages of Scripture that we're reading right now, Israel is now a corporate identity. Corporate as in corpse, as in body. A collective, a people. You know, think back to the patriarchs. They're like nomadic people wandering around uh, Canaan land, strangers and aliens. But now we have Israel as a nation being birthed. This is the birth of the people of God as a nation, as an expanded community. Um, listen, I, I have a, a quote, and I, and I put it in a slide form. And I'll get Don to put it up. It might be a little hard to read. I'm going to read it for you. It says, The people are to celebrate in family groups. If you look at chapter 12, verse 3, you'll see there that this was to be observed and commemorated as families. 
okay? And the animals are to be slaughtered by the people of the community at the same time. That's very significant. This is new, okay? This is, this is, all, this is new. They've never done this before. This is the first record we have of a sacrifice being offered by families rather than by individuals and the whole community participating in a shared ritual together. This had not been done in the time of the patriarchs. The references to the community or the congregation in Exodus chapter 12 verse 3 and in verse 6 also suggest the beginnings of the whole idea of a people or a nation. And this idea will come to full bloom with the announcement of God's choice of the nation and his establishment of the covenant with them in chapters 19 and 20 of Exodus. And we obviously are going to be returning to that over and over again. But this is is huge. That corporate identity. For you and I, We understand biblically we are part of a corporate, and again, I don't mean corporate as in corporation. I'm talking about collective, a people. We're, We're part of a people who with a shared identity. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, the Bible obviously talks a lot about that. But this is where it begins here. It begins here. It doesn't end here. And it's going to carry us through. And the theme is going to come up over and over again as we go through. Um, The law at Sinai was not given to an individual. It was given to a people. You can think about some of those thoughts, some of the implications of them, but as we come into Exodus chapter 12, verses uh, 29 to 32, we see that it happened. The, the death angel passed over, and it happened exactly like Moses said it would happen. And uh, you may recall, or may or may not recall, that uh, God had told Abraham that, that people, you know, it was way back in Abraham's day, God, the patriarch Abraham, God told Abraham that this was going to happen, that the, his, his descendants would spend... 400 years in a foreign land and they, and they would be in and be in bondage and then they would come out and he told them, he said uh, to Abraham, he said, but they will not come out empty-handed. Do you remember that? Do you recall that? Yeah, they will not come out empty-handed. Here in Exodus chapter 12, verses 33 to 36, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out on the land in haste for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their, their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls before uh, being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. And the people of Israel had also um, done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they, they let them have what they asked. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. And uh, that's repeated over in chapter... Uh, that's... Uh, first spoken of in chapter 11 uh, as well, where it's the same thing is kind of described, chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. Um, Keep in mind here that the Egyptians owed this. Um, They owed the people these things. They didn't realize it. 
uh, we don't usually realize how indebted we are to other people. Not only had is Egypt prospered and, and, and uh, enjoyed their lifestyle on the backs of the Hebrew slaves, but think about Joseph. We don't have time to go into it here. I I wish we did. If you're taking notes, write down Genesis 47, verses 13 through 26. And you read that, and you'll see there that the only reason that Pharaoh had what he had was because of Joseph. Joseph made Pharaoh rich. Joseph made Egypt rich. Now, the people didn't see it that way, I'm sure. And Pharaoh certainly didn't see it that way because nobody owed uh, Israel more than Pharaoh did. But he didn't recognize that at all. He, he, you know, but God recognized it. That's how God saw it. And you're sitting here today and you don't have, most of us, I'll say we, we don't have a whole lot of a clue how indebted we are to pre- other people and previous generations. We are ignorant of it. And we go out and shoot off our mouths about all the great things we can do. God must think that's pretty funny sometimes. It's human nature, I guess. But uh, it's interesting, and I, uh, you know, I hate, I can't drill down on it. We can't drill down on it. But it is fascinating when you get to Deuteronomy and, and God's giving the law through Moses. One of the, the laws concerning slaves said when you release a slave, you know, you, we don't go into the whole slavery thing. Again, we don't have time this morning. But, but they had laws. They couldn't send them out empty-handed. They had to pay them. Think about that. It's interesting. And there's laws on tithing there and all that comes in to into that and everything. It's, it's all very fascinating. But anyways, Exodus, Exodus 13, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, is mine. Again, this concept of firstborn, it's fascinating, the whole uh, Passover and the death of the firstborn. But it's just so much more than that. Look at this, Exodus chapter 4, the, verse 21 to 23. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do... Before Pharaoh, all the miracles that I put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. That's the first time in Scripture that that phrase is used of a people collectively. It's used, the, the term firstborn is used, you remember Jacob and Esau and, and uh, Isaac and Ishmael and all of that. If the term firstborn is used, but it always means a person, one individual. This is the first time it's used collectively of a people. And you see, that's the whole, the, a big part of this here uh, is this idea that we're moving to a, 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 a time when, when um, God's um, servant or chosen one is now a people, a nation, a nation that belongs to God. And I'm going to, um, <laughs> Don, Don is, uh, is going to uh, laugh at me. She's been laughing at me all morning. Don is operating the projection, and she, she, so she knows how many other scriptures that are in the slides that are in there and everything that we're not going to be doing. <laughs> we haven't read chapter 14. Chapter 14 it tells the story of 
the actual uh, crossing of the Red Sea. When you read through chapter 14, watch for these phrases. There's a phrase that comes up uh, more than once, and it's this phrase, so that you will know, so that Egypt will know, so that Pharaoh will know. That comes up again and again. There's other things there. It says uh, uh, the word salvation comes up there, and, and it talks about uh, how uh, God fights for uh, God's going to fight for you today. He, he, Moses, they're trapped against the sea. Uh, bring, would you bring the picture, uh, Don, of the, of the Red Sea picture up for me? They're, they're trapped in the wilderness. Pharaoh uh, 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 says, you know, good, you know. I got them now. Uh, no, the map, actually. Uh, I think that's, that's probably what it looked like, something like that, right? It says, the, it's describes there, the, wa the water stood up like, as, as like walls on their left and their right, right? Uh, there's the map. So um, I, don't have, I don't have my laser, but you can see Goshen, the land of Goshen up there, uh, and the great cities of Egypt, like Memphis, and you know, the city of Ramses up, by, uh, up uh, by the delta there. So they, when, they, when they fled, thank you, Don, when they fled, they would have, the promised land is up there. You see the, the uh, um, Dead Sea up there? top right. So that's the way they, they would be heading toward the promised land. But, but God led them down. Uh, instead of taking the left turn, they took a right turn. And it talks about why God did that But uh, in the text. But one thing that uh, it did create was it created a final showdown. Now you would think Pharaoh would be done, right? Like death of the firstborn should have done it. Yeah. Here you're crossing the Red, the Red Sea right there. That, that picture there, that's not Moses. Oh, no? No. That's Charlton Heston. I think we have that. <laughs> It is Charlton Heston, uh, right there, see? <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is a big showdown, right? Big, big showdown. And it says there two or three times it talks about how God fights for his people. God's going to fight for you today. In fact, it says you don't have to say anything. Just stand there and watch. Now, keep in mind, this is the birth of the nation of Israel. And the things that God is doing here are foundational. He is establishing, and it's not just God, uh, not just God uh, saving or delivering a people, it's God making a people. It's God creating a people. And he creates them through an act of salvation that establishes their identity. Later on, he'll say, he'll say the, the firstborn all your firstborn, you have to redeem because they belong to me. The idea is that the people of God be, are the people who belong to God. They're not their own anymore. They don't belong to themselves. They belong to him. Now think about this. Who is he? To whom they belong. That's the question. What is he like? That, those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. That's what Israel needed to ask themselves. That's what they needed to know. Because those are the important questions. If we belong to this God, then who is this God and what is he like? And you see, God is showing them in the whole... Um, narrative of the deliverance out of Egypt and the crossing of the, the, uh, the Red Sea 
and God fighting for them and God uh, setting them free and delivering them, God is showing them. Think about this. He says, Moses says, uh, God says uh, to Moses for the people, stand still and watch. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. God is going to fight for you. Later the prophets will say the battle belongs to the Lord. What is the most foundational thing that you need to know about what it means to belong to God and what he's like? And this is it right here. Because although the circumstances and situations definitely are going to change as we move through the Old Testament into the New Testament, that fundamental message is, is reiterated in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I tell you, you, you have no part in your own salvation other than to stand still and watch and see what God has done and is going to do for you. And that really separates us as the people of God from other groups. Because in this world where there's all kinds of different faith groups and all kinds of different philosophies, the, the thing that sets us apart as believers is that we commemorate, look back to and remember and recall the salvation that God has wrought for us. That we are helpless. I mean, they were trapped and they, they had like, you know, they had nowhere to go. They couldn't help themselves. They were done. Have you ever been there? I've been there. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when there's nothing you can do? Watch God work. Um, let's let's stand. I I uh, <coughs> I know there's a lot of scripture there that we didn't get to. I got done to load all of chapter 14 in. I was going to we were going to read it all chapter 14. That's okay. You read it. Go home and read it. You'll like it. It's, it's amazing stuff. It really is. And it's a picture of what God wants to do in our lives. Not just, not just save us from bondage, but actually make us a new people, like a new identity, a people who belong to, to the Lord. You know, when April was talking earlier um, about how good God is and, and uh, you know, and the, and the musicians and the singers were up here and, and what we were singing together and, and I was looking around the room, you know, so I usually I'm hovering at the back because I, get a, I usually check with the, the, uh, some of the operators and make sure that we're, you know, that things are in place for the morning and everything and, 
But as I was looking around, I was thinking, how good it is to belong to this people who together belong to the Lord. It is good. It's our identity. It's who we are. What distinguishes us from the Egyptians? He does. The one to whom we belong. And as we continue on through the book of Exodus and the law of Moses and all of that, that's what it's all about. It's what God is like. When, when he says things like, don't commit adultery, it's because God is faithful. When it says things like, do not murder, it's because God is the God of life. And we're created in his image. And, and we could go on and we will. It's all about him. It's all about him. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning as we pray together. You don't have to close your eyes. You can certainly pray with your eyes open. But bow your heads before the Lord Almighty, our Savior, our King, the great I Am, the one who saves, the God who saves. Lord, we worship you this morning. We worship you, our God, our Savior, and our King. Help us, Lord, to, to really get to know you better. Help us to understand your word. Help us to put our faith in you and to know that when we are helpless, you, with a with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm are the God who saves. And that we are so privileged to belong to you. Help us, Lord, to, to live out of that, that reality, that new reality as the people of God. Lord, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus saves us, not just for this life, but for all eternity. Bless your people today, Lord. I pray you bless your people mightily today. In Jesus' name, amen.